Today, we'll discuss escalating U.S.-China tensions and how investors consider geopolitical risk in their portfolios. Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Unbi Ko. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we share insights from the multi-asset solutions team at New York Life Investments, what we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's diversified portfolio series, including the Income Builder Fund, as well as bespoke solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of October 25th, 2021. And today we're going to dive into one of my favorite portfolio management topics, geopolitical risk. It always seems like you're turning our investment committee away from geopolitical risk topics. So I am a bit surprised to hear you say that. Why is geopolitical risk a favorite for you? Well, geopolitical risks are really interesting, and so investors love to talk about them, but they can also be really distracting relative to the bread and butter market topics that impact our portfolios. So discussing geopolitical risk provides us with a great opportunity to think about the emotions of investing as well. I see. So while geopolitics are interesting, it isn't necessarily a driver of profitability or the business cycle. But that doesn't mean we can wrap up the podcast here because there are idiosyncratic risks and behavioral responses that should be considered. And today we're going to use escalating U.S.-China tensions as the issue. Yes, absolutely. And U.S.-China tensions are a great test case for a conversation around geopolitical risk management because, frankly, it's a fascinating topic and it's been unfolding for decades and the tensions in this region have real reasons for escalating recently and they're related to the economic cycle. Yeah, so before we jump in, let's get everyone up to speed with a bit of background, why this topic has been in the news, and then we can dig into how investors consider these multi-decade historical tensions. Yes, and the occasional escalations in those historical tensions. Perfect. Let's do it. So the gist of the current escalation in Taiwan is, for decades, policymakers in China and Taiwan have debated whether Taiwan is an independent country or part of China. In recent weeks, China has increased activity in Taiwan's air defense identification zone, raising concern that China may take military action to affirm its control over the island. Why is this relevant to U.S.-China tensions, you might ask? Well, there's several reasons that the U.S. is relevant in this picture, but we'll get to those. The first one I want to mention is that Taiwan is an important strategic ally for the U.S. And over the decades, as Taiwan and China have disagreed about Taiwan's status or sovereignty, the U.S. has taken a stance called strategic ambiguity on the subject of Taiwan, which is a deliberately vague position in which it neither confirms nor denies whether it would come to the island's defense in the event of an attack by China. And that serves to heighten concern in the region over potential saber rattling, where one display of military force or a threat of military force could escalate into a larger war. And so recent flyovers by China in Taiwan's air defense identification zone grab a lot of attention. And we've also seen the U.S. come out and and say that it would like to support Taiwan, again, somewhat of an ambiguous stance here. So it's particularly muddled where the U.S. and China are concerned. 
bringing things closer to topics from this podcast. In the last few years, investors have witnessed increasing tensions between the U.S. and China on other topics, including trade and technology transfer. Recent U.S. attempts to limit China's growth in developing certain technologies, remember the Huawei bans, are perceived as threats to China's national sovereignty and ability to participate in the increasingly tech-driven global economy. Yeah, and add that Taiwan is a major participant in the global semiconductor industry, a vital part of the global economy, and also in desperate shortage due to the pandemic. And you can see how the attention and the tension between the U.S., China, and Taiwan, and access to technology-driven economy of the future would be rising in this circumstance. Right. So that's the backstory. And like you said at the top of the program, Lauren, we're barely skimming the surface here. People write PhD theses about this stuff. But in the end, we don't think military intervention in Taiwan is likely. In the near term, China is hosting the Winter Olympics in 2022 and is unlikely to take drastic action. In the longer term, the importance of Taiwan's and the U.S.'s role in the global semiconductor manufacturing space and China's reliance on that space make conflicts unlikely to be an attractive option. You're pointing to a really important aspect of geopolitical risk management for investors, NB, which is that sometimes the really interesting topics don't have much of an impact on portfolio management that we can wrap our heads around. Hmm. Say more about that. Well, many geopolitical risks, including this current concern about U.S.-China military conflict related to Taiwan, are what we call long tail risks. That means that the likelihood that the risk would actually occur is low, but if it did occur, the impact of that risk to the global economy and markets could be really big and widespread or broad. Right. And in our view, there is little that we could change in our portfolio that would generate portfolio resiliency against a major war shock like this, while still providing investors the best risk-adjusted return relative to our base case views. Exactly. And that perspective isn't just throwing up our hands and saying, you know, we don't know how to manage this risk and we're not going to do anything. It's actually best practice. So for tail risks like these, our perspective, which is confirmed by research we've done across our different investment boutiques and clients, is to stay focused on our base case perspective and manage only the risks that first of all, reach high priority based on their likelihood, their velocity, and their impact. And second, are directly manageable in a given portfolio strategy. That's a lot of insight packed into one little line in a podcast. (laughs) Well, thank you. But I have to tell you, no matter how many investment committees I sit on or get to witness, the desire to talk through different iterations of every risk is everywhere. It's human nature. These developments are super interesting and they're often scary. So they're top of mind, but there's lots of risks and potential impacts to markets out there. And so if a risk doesn't have direct bearing on a portfolio, like if there's nothing your team can do to position against that risk without jeopardizing your financial goals, like you were saying, Unbi, then the best practice is to focus on the things that do impact your portfolio, or at least more likely to impact your portfolio. Yeah, you're describing a process for asset managers, but I think there are some important lessons learned here for our listeners too. One of the things we are often insisting upon with our clients is to focus on action, not distraction. I love that saying. Me too. The simple fact is this, there will always be some reason to take money off the table. But cash is a significant drag on a portfolio, especially when inflation is rising. We are focused on key threats that are more likely to impact portfolio construction. That's right. And it's worth mentioning that, of course, as tensions and market attention ebb and flow related to geopolitical risks, we may still see some modest market impacts related to a a given geopolitical risk rising, including this one that we're talking about, the Taiwan topic. 
Very true. Our point isn't that geopolitical risk doesn't matter, but rather to understand the extent to which it matters for your portfolio. Because these topics are complex and interesting, investors can skip that step, which can result in a lot of stress and wasted time for little impact. Another thing we try to work on with our clients is a process called signposting. So many organizations prioritize key risks, but don't identify ways to determine whether the likelihood of a given risk is increasing or decreasing. And in our view, that's a mistake. If the risk is important to the organization, then it's equally important to understand how it's progressing. So setting some quantitative, data-driven, or even qualitative thresholds for change, which we call signposts, that's a useful exercise for tracking the development of top risks. And if a signpost is triggered, then the team should be held accountable for determining what it means for a portfolio. But if it's not, then it just provides a nice framework by which we can keep ourselves as investors or our clients, again, focused on their financial goals. You love a good signpost. (laughs) I do. The tips and tricks you've shared so far are all about building resilient portfolios. For investors concerned about geopolitical risk, we encourage a focus on the drivers of real value creation in their portfolios. How can you build resiliency against rising risks without losing focus on strategic investment goals? Well, if you're going to mention portfolio resiliency, then it's definitely time for our Portfolio Pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. And today we have four investment ideas related to geopolitical risk. The first is tactical. Our research shows that geopolitical risk tends to manifest most rapidly and holistically via currency volatility. Exposure to global world events will thus result in some currency fluctuations over time. For investors that maybe won't be spending a lot of time on geopolitical risk, but are worried about this type of impact, using a partially currency hedged strategy can allow some exposure to international diversification, which may be beneficial while not overly exposed. That's very true and a very interesting idea. Our second idea has to do with diversification, but with a twist, because while we said earlier that we aren't making changes right now related to U.S.-China tensions over Taiwan, we're also cognizant of company and country-specific impacts that can occur from time to time as tensions ebb and flow. So just as one example, retaliatory regulation or sanctions on a specific company's activities could impact investors or even countries that co-invest or rely on those activities. And so We rely on heavily active and flexible managers to stay attuned to this type of risk. And we also use portfolio diversification to build resiliency against idiosyncratic risks like that. And specifically, international diversification, having a global portfolio, allows investors to achieve diversification to the geospatial events that may be happening in a country or region compared to others. That's true. However, international exposure could also result in investors being exposed to themes or factors more than they expect. For example, Europe and Japan have very value-focused equity indices. Using a global asset allocation strategy can help to assess and manage this exposure. A third idea we have is highly related to the flexibility we're getting at, which is an important aspect of risk management. We thus like multi-sector strategies as a core portfolio exposure. Choosing managers with global and multi-sector capabilities can allow investors to pivot when geopolitical risks are occurring. And finally, since we are talking about risks, we have to mention ESG or environmental, social, and governance risk-focused investing. ESG investing is relevant because geopolitical risks are often complex and may have contradictory impacts over time. Investors could consider risk factors that will help remove some of the idiosyncratic risks related to environmental, social, or governance concerns. Well, four investment ideas up, four down. Some really tangible ideas in the episode today. I really like that. But coming up next, I guess it's Halloween. Anything you're afraid of this week, Unbi? 
So far, nothing's too spooky in corporate profit reports. Given concerns in the market about rising inflation, what is the S&P 500 reporting for a net profit margin in the third quarter? Well, the blended net profit margin for the S&P 500 for Q3 2021 is 12.3% which is above the year-ago net profit margin and above the five-year average net profit margin. However, it is below the previous quarter's record high net profit margin of 13.1%. So if 12.3% is the actual net profit margin for this quarter, it will mark the third highest net profit margin reported by the index since we could track that metric in 2008. That's great data. And I love that line, nothing too spooky in corporate earnings. Well, that's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. Let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or a topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. That's right. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views on our website. That's newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the Insights tab. Until then, I'm Unbi Ko. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next time. podcast is produced by Milo Benamont, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. Environmental, social, and governance, or ESG managers, may take into consideration factors beyond traditional financial information to select securities, which could result in relative investment performance deviating from other strategies or broad market benchmarks, depending on whether such sectors or investments are in or out of favor in the market. Further, ESG strategies may rely on certain values-based criteria to eliminate exposures found in similar strategies or broad market benchmarks, which could also result in relative investment performance deviating. For more information about mainstay funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. The mainstay funds are managed by New York Life Investment Management, LLC, and distributed by NY Life Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. NY Life Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.